0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to No Country. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is my co-host, mentor, friend, blowgun enthusiast, Chris Sagetison. Chris, how's it going today?
1: David, it's going really well. Thank you. I, I am making some real progress in the zen of blowgunning. Uh, I really, really recommend it. It's, uh, I think, any kind of target practice practice, uh, Activity is really important. I started, you know, thinking about that in the textbook when I noticed that, you know, we have so many metaphors about aiming and targets uh, in throughout our language. Uh, We use, you know, probably one of those kind of analogies or metaphors every day, and yet very few of us really, you know, do that uh, regularly. And uh, I've worked at a system in my house, so I've got a good thirty-two feet uh target range and I'm shooting my goal is to shoot two hundred darts a day. And uh it's a very it's a great comp I come I do it after I come back from my swimming and it really yeah. helps me focus. It's a good balance to uh what I am afraid to say is the neurological uh based pain that I may be in for uh, you know, the duration. Um, mm-hmm. but my thought yeah. is well play through the pain, you know, and, and, and get get concentrated, get focused, and there is just something really beautiful and soothing about the sound of the dart. you know? When you know you... Because you want it to to hit at a perfectly flat trajectory. You don't want to sort of dip it in. There's no wind here to allow for, you know? You want it coming in sharp with the same velocity, the same trajectory every time. So... It's a a good uh, analog to, I think, what people like us are trying to do with our thinking, our reading, our writing, and our speaking, communicating, you know, to to be consistent, flexible, uh, but consistent.
0: Right. Yeah, the, the balance between consistency and flexibility is really just knowing when to pick your battles, knowing when to bend, knowing what to pursue, uh, all of these are really important skills. On my end, I've uh, decided to go ahead with my stick chart. Um, there is an enormous branch that fell off during an ice storm last year, and I was getting ready to go to the craft store, Hobby Lobby, something like that, and buy supplies to build my stick chart, when my wife pointed to the backyard and said, you've got a bunch of sticks right there. Right <laughs> but I think Beautiful. that's uh, really—I think that's really cool—and um, it makes more sense for what a stick chart even is—to—to to use something that's already in my backyard. So I'm excited about that. I was telling you that um, you know the writing is going fantastically, but we were whatever the opposite of commiserating is because it was definitely not negative in tone. But we were talking off mic about how beautiful it is to be out of the loop when it comes to the the writing world. You know, you were mentioning not recognizing certain names. Uh, I'm getting to the point where, you know, I tweeted this, but the the writing community, which is a complete oxymoron, it's it's at least a misnomer, is uh, to my mind, it's unsalvageable. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a collection of people who seem much more focused on a kind of OCD, keeping everything clean, keeping out any impure thoughts or people from the scene. It's, it's extremely toxic for, for art making. And I have recently felt like I have a new lease on life once I simply walked away from it. And, you know, now the writing is flowing broken river is is gearing back up i recently finished designing two novels that are going to come out next month uh we're working on the psychic defense manual which will come out end of summer and um yeah it's just it feels really good i i think that we are social creatures but there's a point where a tribe becomes a mob and you don't want to be part of a mob you just want to have your little tribes
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, I, I think what you're saying is something that, that a lot of uh, the people that we most admire are, are noticing. And um, it, it's curious that there are a range of causes uh, behind it, of course. It, it, I don't think it is, is probably as new as it may feel. I think it's just reached a kind of terminal uh, state of, of critical mass. And it's going to fade away. I, I really think that the tide is turning. Um, but, you know, on the uh, Broken Riverfront, I just wanted to compliment you and shout out to to our friend uh, and uh, fellow traveler, Grant Womack. I love uh, uh, his, the cover for his book, Black Gypsies. I think that looks really cool. I'm looking forward to uh,
0: Thank
1: digging you. into Thank that at some point over. Because uh, we've still got some summer left I'm uh but that looks really fantastic. So, no, well done, and stick with the goodbye. You know, I think that's the thing. Is like, it, it, there is a kind of, of necessary, uh, well, you know, we say in, our, in the title of our book, Psychic Defense, steer clear of, of people who, who just bring you down, you know?
0: Yeah, and, yeah.
1: And if they get together as it become a kind of an attempted social movement, Well, then that's all the more reason to resist, you know. Um, Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. And just distance, like you're saying, distance is important. I think that doing anything in life um, can't be Sisyphean in nature. You can't just roll a boulder because you love rolling boulders. There's always some kind of goal, and you oscillate between the joy of the task and the expectation of having a finished result. And that's, the, that's the, the work balance, not the work-life balance, but just the work balance in general. And I think that when you have a community that you know is waiting, waiting for you to make a mistake, waiting for you to get a little bit of success so that they can tear it down, it makes your efforts in writing feel futile because you think to yourself, what's the point in finishing this novel if as soon as I get it done, they're going to dig up old tweets or, you know, take clips out of this podcast or Agitator or something and, you know, enact one of these campaigns on me. And it just, it's just something that you don't even want to go through. But the good news is is that 99.99999% of people in this country and in the world have no idea what's going on in these, in these little scenes. They just are looking for a good read some of them anyway
1: well anybody who wants to see someone fail I think that's a really uh, desperate uh, broken soul approach to life and they've already got their comeuppance you know because they have to live with themselves Um, but it was interesting when we were uh, just about ready to uh, press the go button uh, you were were referring to this topic and and um, using the term about moralizing, which we hear a lot about today, and this is kind of a lot of people who are moralizing, you know, I, I think are on shaky ground, uh, if not quicksand yeah. when it comes to that. But, you know, one of our, our techniques is always to look very closely at words and uh, prefixes and synonyms and, and to, to pull apart the, the obvious-seeming words that are often raining down around us. Think about what it means to, uh, when we say demoralizing, or to feel demoralized, mm, you know? Mm, mm-hmm, it, feel, mm. it It's to be discouraged, isn't it? It's to feel, you right. know? So, <laughs> I mean, no one wants to feel demoralized. You want to feel you know, encouraged, uh, enthusiasm, and theos, the god within, you know, all that sort of good vibe, good strength, potency, you know, uh, virility of body and of spirit, in a sense, uh, or mulabriety, which is the female equivalent of that, which people may not know. Uh, you don't want to feel demoralized. But think about it, maybe what we need is to uh, de- Moralize the society that has become this, you know, shaming contest of, you know, it's like, really? It's just like, is that where we're at, you know?
0: Well, you just want to say to these people, you can have whatever causes and beliefs you have and not be an asshole about it. Those two things are not. Yes, there is that option. There is that option. You can just. The way that I put it on Twitter was, you can just be normal. You can be a normal person who has causes and beliefs and fights for those beliefs. You know, whether it's the environment, uh, social issues, racial issues, transgender issues, whatever your issue is, I I have I have respect for people who commit to a cause. Who really do commit? Who put time, money, and effort into a cause? What I don't have any respect for are people who just allow these—they allow these causes to become their excuse for for just being kind of nasty, which is it already in their dark hearts and needs to be examined. I mean, if it if it wasn't, I've, I've this sounds um, maybe oversimplified, but I have. The feeling that some of the people who call others fascists and Nazis would have been more likely to be fascists and Nazis if their circumstances had changed than somebody like me, right? The person who wouldn't have been a Nazi in Nazi Germany are people like you and I who don't get swept up in these movements and are able to sit back and say, well, you know, I don't think that I don't think that sounds right. I don't think, I don't think we should blame Jewish people for everything. That that doesn't make any sense. You see what I mean? It's a it's a it's a state of mind, right? Uh, that is divorced entirely from the cause that's applied to it. You see the same thing to be fair on the other side with woke, uh, not woke, uh, with uh, moralizing Christians. You know, and I I maintain that Christianity has a lot to offer. I think it's a very uh, beautiful religion in many of its iterations but not the kind that I grew up in the Southern Baptist shaming you're a sinner you're this you're that it's its all the same it's just looking for an outlet
1: yeah it's, well the whole thing is just so damn tedious because you know really the wonder the terror the beauty uh, is just being ignored for the, the most blase social reasons and if 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 other people want to live their life on that level, that's fine, Uh, but if they expect me to live on that level, uh, that's not fine, you know? I mean, I was out walking back from uh, the pool, you know, and I'm so grateful for where I am, these beautiful, beautiful mountains, you know? Really, I'm concerned about the drought. We did have some lovely rain that we really needed, but it's not nearly enough. But lizards are are out, and some really, really cool lizards, and they're beautiful examples of one of of the greatest ideas that just fascinates the hell out of me, ever since I first learned about it. Camouflage, they're hard Mm -hmm. to see, you know, and there's good reason for that. And, and the, the wonder and the precision of the moving. And, you know, I, I walked through and I thought, you know, on what basis am I too certain the level that I'm living on? It's certainly not going to be the Twitter level, you know, because that's pretty invisible and pretty strange. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying I don't post on Twitter. I'm not saying I don't notice other people's tweets. You know, I think all of that's really important, but it's the insistence on uh, a certain definition of sociological existence that has become the preeminent uh, framework of of our time, thanks to the internet to a large extent. And I don't see any other option but to rebel against that and to look for other yes. frames. You know.
0: I agree. I read a great article that Jay uh, Springett sent to me in The New Yorker, written by Cal Newport. Uh, Cal Newport's written some great books on productivity, actual good self-help books that really help, but his article was about Twitter and its, its outsized influence, and he brings up some interesting points within the article. Number one, Twitter is the least profitable of all social media platforms. Uh, And when polled, in America, about 8% of the population identifies as far, far left. About 6% of the population identifies as far, far right. But that 14% makes up almost 100% of Twitter's power users. Hmm. So it's a small minority of extreme people arguing back and forth with each other. The problem that Newport points out in his article is that people in power, whether that's CEOs, politicians, other world leaders, they put an outsized influence on what's going on on Twitter. It's hypnotized certain influential sectors of the world. So it's one of those things where it's really, it's really not, as you're saying, it's not an accurate picture of how uh, certainly Americans are thinking but I would venture to say the world. The issue is the importance that powerful people have put on it, where they're making policies that are wildly unpopular because they're paying attention to the far left and the far right.
1: Well, I think a good analogy is the stock market. You know, we're, we're told that that is this great uh, index of, of economic uh, optimism and, and health, actually, not just the psychological optimism, but health. Of, of a nation or the world or, you know, but, but 90% of people have no real connection with the stock market. They don't really know what's going on. Yes, they do, they do take note when they're retired, they get a statement from their investment managers and mm-hmm. it's a, you know, a sort of a unit trust, you know, or some sort of composite trust where they're invested in a range, of, of course, of course, and they notice that they're, you know, their fund is is down it's not performing as well of course but the the, I mean it's like trying to get people really really concerned about where Baker Mayfield the quarterback is going to end up in the NFL you know <laughs> this season I mean for some people okay that's a really crucial sort of issue and right, there's right, no yes. denigrating that that's, that's if that's your thing that's, no. that's cool you know and uh, And every, you know, we're very supportive of hobbies, and that's a lot of very localized, precision, specialist knowledge that that forms these communities and that holds them together. All of that's good. But for some reason, the Twitter situation and the the constellation of issues, I don't know how, like, I'm not sure they're really deserving of the term issues. I, I think they're uh, they're peccadillas, they're hobby horses, they're uh, derangement syndromes. There are they're a lot of ways to describe them. I don't know if they're really issues in a big sense. Or they are, if they are, they're in the sense of like, well, so-and-so has issues. You know when you say that <laughs> about someone, you know, you know what you mean, you know? Yeah, right. like, oh right. well, you know, right. Dieter has right. issues. Well, you know you don 't want to maybe be on Dieter 's work team. Um, so it's it's that the, why we get why we've elevated what is obviously deeply neurotic behavior at the very, very best that's a very neutral way to put it i think
0: absolutely absolutely, and I think that this podcast uh that for me, I can speak for myself, has been really good at uh, sort of getting me out of turning. I want Twitter to be the equivalent of, you know, who's getting drafted in the NFL this year. Because I, that's not my personal hobby. You know, I don't pay any attention to it. But wouldn't it be nice if that was, if that was Twitter? And you just sort of heard it in passing. And I have friends uh, who are big, they play fantasy football, <clears throat> so they know all of this stuff, and they'll get into you know, heated arguments about how players are going to perform, which is really kind of funny. It's the modern male divinatory ritual is fantasy football, yep. you know, like everybody's getting together and trying to, you know, trying to use their magic eight balls to <laughs> to figure this out, but, you know just imagine if that's how you know, I was with, say, you know, the writing community or uh, the publishing industry, if I just didn't pay any attention to it. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes I, I've made a friend recently, he's one of the people who I'm publishing, his name is David Simmons, and he's this really colorful guy, he's from Baltimore, he's got gold teeth, you know, ex-drug dealer, really great writer, and he's new to the writing scene because he's been in the kind of baltimore underground you know sort of hip-hop and drug scene so he doesn't know anything about writing and it's it's great talking to him because he just likes writing books and it turns out he's really good at them and i i I want to be more like david (laughs) and kind of get back to that
1: i just want to say it wasn't so very long ago that the breakthrough really important artists not just in writing but in every art form weren't part of a scene you know the idea of being part of a scene as in part of an industry mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it. like for instance track the appearance of the phrase the music business you know That's very interesting to see where that culturally emerges and how people define, you know, people who are musicians and and trying to sell their work. They are commercial. See how they relate to that. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that people, the most interesting people were outriders. They were, and think of the 19th century. They were out on whale ships around the world, you know. They just, they weren't sort of, there wasn't, you know, a a writing community. For Melville, his writing community was Nathaniel Hawthorne smoking a cigar in his barn, you know?
0: Yeah, right, right. That was it. Well, before we go further, you've given me my words. A quick note to listeners who look out for this kind of thing. Last episode, the much-delayed last episode, was unique for two reasons. One of them being how late it was. Sorry about that, technical difficulties. The other thing was I got so hyped on what Chris and I were talking about that I didn't, I didn't insert any of my five words last time. So first, failure, but we're back on the horse. I have five new words. I don't, I, don't get to, I don't get to dip back in. Those words are gone forever. But along with these words, Chris has his imaginative challenges now, which are to come up with a band name, genre, kind of give us the feel for what the band is and then an aphorism so do you have right. this for us today i
1: do i'm gonna go with for the band name and genre i'm gonna go with a long name of formerly tell your children i mm-hmm. i like it as a ref. you know for some people who remember prince they may remember that phase where he was the artist formerly known as prince but it came to my attention that formerly tell your children was the original name, uh, or is associated with the, the nineteen thirty six propaganda movie uh, Reefer Madness, uh, mm. which has looked ridiculous for a long time and, and was a huge drive in and uh, funky theater favorite in the sixties and seventies, uh, because of you know an obvious. Uh, <laughs> ridiculous message that was overstated uh, probably at, at the time and and, and just caused enormous uh, sense of, of hilarity I like it because I think that's all it, it speaks to what will I believe uh, how wokeness will will look in in a very short period of time how it already looks to many of us yeah um, yeah. I, I think that I've, I'm getting some very positive signs, uh, and I say they're positive from from my perspective. And I think you agree, but other people might, you know, be worried about. But I think that the the tide is turning. As as any social movement is never above this problem. That younger people coming up uh, just, you know, don't want to have anything to do with it.
0: Um, Right. It's going to the 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 woke thing sorry to interrupt, but the woke thing is very much a kind of older millennial, younger Gen X phenomenon.
1: Exactly. And I think it's you know, already someone like Taylor Swift is attracting you know, she's still a multimillionaire, but she's attracting, you know, complaints and sort of looking a little bit long in the tooth and you know, it's the same old, same old and, and there's no reason to think that any uh, fad, fa you know, even if we want to dignify it a little bit further uh, to think that it has a, an inevitably long lifespan because the inevitability is just the other way. It, it will go out of fashion. Um, but I thought the genre for this might be really interesting of a return to... Uh, I grew up in Berkeley and there used to be, you know, uh, coffee houses Uh, I mean, there were, and and we don't mean like you know what we mean maybe today in terms of you know espresso serving places, you know there were kind of uh, there were non licensed cafes that that offered entertainment possibilities, and that's where the folk movement, uh, you know people like Bob Dylan that sort of era uh, when he was getting started that's where it took off, and I'm thinking of a really raw primitive. Folk group uh, for today, who are kind of mangled, you know, in their sound. They don't really have the depth of, of acoustic musical experience. They're not the confident performers. They're not sure of the issues, you know. As it, it's not so simple as like in the war, or you know, it, it, it's a very uh, complicated, ambivalent, and. Uh, kind of demoralized folk sound that nonetheless I think really could have some resonance so formally tell your children I also like it because it's like I don't know if people what people are telling their children today I I know what you and Rios are doing and I really applaud that I'm seeing you know two almost two generations of people who I'm not sure what they told their kids but I wish they'd either done something different or more, you know. Uh, right, right, right. So that's my band name. And, and for my aphorism, I've, I've gone real homespun. Summertime, lemonade, you know, going back to basics. My aphorism is if you have flies, maybe you need a spider or a lizard.
0: I love that because I keep uh, covered spiders in my house for that very reason because I hate flies and there is a little, they're called false widows, Yeah. their bites can be uh, deadly in rare cases, it's just sort of, it's like the Diet Coke version of a black widow. (laughs) uh, Beautiful, that's a beautiful
1: uh, expression. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and uh, I, she lives behind my toilet, and I let her, you know, I keep Gus away from, I don't want Gus messing with the toilet to begin with, but I keep him away from there, and I'll look every once in a while and find sometimes up to a dozen fly corpses down there, and I just sweep them up. I tell her good morning, and I let her do her thing. She's, she's happy as a clan down there.
1: God, I love... You know, if I were uh, a like a late 20s, early 30s, hot-looking female but not sure of myself mm-hmm. and maybe of kind of uh, of uncertain race and I was wanted to be in show business, I think Diet Coke Black Widow would be a great <laughs> stage name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would. That'd know. be good. Yeah, you could see oh, that in right.
0: that. I'd go watch that. But um, as... The, the final piece of our imaginative puzzle. Uh, every episode, I'm given a challenge, a challenge to stretch my brain. So, this time, I know that you said that you were you were torn between a few choices here. But yeah, wait, wait for
1: I, that for me. I I when I uh, have spent my uh, sort of sunset time out on the porch looking at the light change in the mountains, I've just had this flood of great things to set your mind of fire, so it, I've got a really long list. For whatever reason, I sort of did an hour of, of brainstorming and all of them were in this frame, and I thought, oh, Jesus, I can't wait to see what David's going to do with this. But this one is a kind of amalgam of of one that we tried earlier, which I thought was beautiful, the, the Silent Elvis Repertory Theater Company when you were working for Uh, a a super billionaire and you were charged with creating this uh, summer theater company of Elvis uh, for the hearing impaired Uh, but also uh, it picks up on uh, your uh, I love this idea of exposing guests to uh, Sesame Street but Sesame Street from the past you Mm -hmm. know I think that's that's hilarious so this is kind of an amalgamant, and it's a little bit like the branch falling down in your backyard of making the the stick map out of things around you so we're gonna get you to make a a kind of uh, map response out of this thing that's fallen in the backyard you're again working for uh, a super uh, billionaire and the rewards are tremendous They're absolutely tremendous. They open up a whole new lifestyle that's possible for you, Rios, and Gus. You've got enormous incentive to keep this gig, to keep it, but it's not an easy one because the billionaire is a deeply eccentric Howard Hughes reclusive character, Mm -hmm. and you are charged with the responsibility of keeping him from realizing that it's 2022, he is somewhere back in the 1980s, and I'll give you uh, one little hint, like just a little helping analogy. Uh, when I was uh, this year, 17 and 18, uh, when I was living in decrepit Hollywood Hotel, Southern California squalor. One of my 79 jobs was very, and the simplest one, I was a busboy waiter. And uh, my real job, though, was to keep uh, one of the kitchen staff from going out into the restaurant and dealing with customers. He, that was his great desire in life. He had an unfortunate uh, speech impediment and a physical problem with his face in the sense mm-hmm. that uh, an axe had uh, divided his uh, face in half and hadn't mm-hmm. really been repaired properly. And my, my real job was not to, uh, to wait on tables and to uh, you know, do the business of restaurant. I, I was to keep Andy in the kitchen. Well, of course, that was difficult to do, and Andy would try to slip out, and one day he did. So your job here is to keep this Howard Hughes boss who's paying you an enormous amount of money to maintain this bubble, this silo of perfect assurance that it is still the late 1980s. It could be the 90s, if -hmm. you want. You know, that's a little bit close. But it's not 2022. It's not and I think uh, for drama's sake I think there should be a moment where uh, a crisis that comes and, and the revelation <laughs> happens
0: uh, I know exactly what it'll be okay, okay. Cool. Cool, All right. cool yeah um, okay excellent well I have my words I have my challenge we've done a fair bit of talking I guess I kind of got off on a tangent about that whole writing thing but it we're doing so much work on these past few episodes with mental maps and it's so exciting to me it's such a new horizon everything they call it the pink cloud when you stop drinking and I have I don't have the pink cloud from not drinking I have the pink cloud from this new frame of looking at things and one of the the shadow sides of that is that the way that you used to live begins to look more and more disgusting, boring, decrepit. Uh, (laughs) So you kind of, it feels like this final need to, to purge, right? To, to, to purge this, uh, this life that I used to live, you know, it's like, the, the friends that I have in these little, fa- not Facebook, but Twitter groups are sort of the last bastion of a life that I was very invested in for over a decade. And that's got to, it's got to go. It's got to go. So I appreciate the opportunity to vent on the show. I feel, I feel better.
1: Well, it's important to do that. And I think that, you know, anyone will say that when you're making a lifestyle change, of any kind, and it certainly applies to anything to do with uh, substance. You know, alcohol, drugs, and it, I mean, all of the experts in the field say, first of all, it's about changing uh, your friends. You know, really, you know, kind of looking at at who, you know, who's around you, and if you if we dig a little deeper in that, I mean, the underlying grammar, the deep grammar of reality, there, is. Not just as it is above, so it is below. It's as it is outside, so is you know it is within. And, and we, we are always living with our projections. We are living with our reflections. And if we want to change our view of ourselves, it's really important to be very careful of the people around us, the people who, who are you know, because we, we do assign them uh, some real credibility in, in reporting, uh, back to us you know a view you know we're giving them uh, the credence of being mirrors you know in a certain way and that's all fine um, and and that's part of sanity and that's part of social behavior it's part of just necessity you know you can't fully avoid it but we want to be careful about the the mirror idea you know mirrors mm-hmm. are, are not uh, we, we forget you know because we're so used to that they do distort things they're they're not what you look like they're they're the reverse of that we forget that and mirrors can often have distortions. We know that lighting changes things. God I mean i I think about you know i've had uh i don't know maybe f- like four or five women comment on the lighting in bathrooms that i of my places over the years you know when putting on on makeup and or just you know and i, I think to myself why well, I, I don't really even notice that you know if i can shave i i'm i'm cool you know um mm-hmm. but yeah you know there can be harsh light there can be light that's very forgiving and the people around us, you know, are, are in that same category that way. There are people who are, I think are overly accepting uh, and, and not critical at all, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Most of us know some Eeyore type people from Winnie the Pooh who are kind of always down. You just think, oh, I just, my spirit sags when I hear their, the tone of their voice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it is very important to, uh, to make your own map and, and to, to, to draw on the resources and uh, the materials of the world around you so it's not just coming up out of nowhere, because um, mm-hmm. that is a kind of, of, sol- of solipsism, uh, but it's kind of insanity too. Um, but at the same time, you, you have to, you can't be turning over the map-making mirror uh, function, to the world outside yourself. That's not good either. Um, and I, I wondered, I had a thought that might, you know, uh, re, well, I think that resonates very strongly with this and then connects kind of back with what we were talking about in last episode, which uh, for people who, who are late in tuning in, because we did... There were some technical difficulties, but David really worked through that, and I'm so glad he did, because I think it's a really important episode. Um, there was mention of sort of the history-making machine, and we've been talking about uh, history. The, 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 to what extent it's uh, entirely socially constructed, and David's imaginative challenge for the last episode was, well, if, if it is uh, constructed, if it's an imaginary if it's a human process, well, maybe we could put it on hold and take a break from it. I mean, that would be one test about how artificial it is, you know? Uh, and I think there was an interesting exploration of that. Um, but I, I heard an expression that, that we, uh, we hear a lot, and I think it's a beautiful example of how in everyday simple language some deep, deep mysteries and confusions exist and uh, I was swimming my laps and normally I'm all by myself because it's really early in the morning, but there was a group of people uh, coming into the community center and uh, one woman said well for the record and I thought, you know, that's a really interesting, we have implicit in our mind the sense that there's some sort of record, you know? Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, there was always a rec- a scorekeeper, you know, counting my the free throws that I swished perfectly, you know? Uh, there was always some sort of sense of, of a bigger you know and and for many people that's kind of the idea well god's always watching or you know then we downscale to well nothing is ever forgotten or lost on the internet you know and we can go back and dig up tweets you know from you know which goes back to what we were talking about at the start but what do you think about this notion of a record and in this sense it's a larger map it's a larger mirror that's well outside our control. I mean, where do we get that idea from? And how, well, I think it's a fair question to ask if if there's any utility in that, but is there any reality in it, in fact? Is there a record?
0: I would have to say that this this is 100% a product of everybody's lives being on display 24-7, of our daily routines and habits becoming performances because everything is being recorded. For the record is a journalistic term. You say things on and off the record, meaning, you know, I want you to record that versus I don't want you to record that. And it's interesting to use that in the context of two friends talking amongst themselves because <laughs> it's almost saying this is the person who I would like to present to you. And the other stuff that I'm saying is not indicative of who I who I actually am. But I would I have to say that it's it's got to be it's got to be a product of cuz I'm 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 trying to think in terms of, you know, 18th, 19th century, uh, there clearly was not going... There, was, there would much more likely be the idea that God is watching than you know, everything's being uploaded to a cloud. Now, and in terms of its utility, if there's a utility to having things go on and off record, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to dismiss it outright, but I'm having trouble thinking of what that might be because it does it it's it seems largely negative to me. It seems like a a symptom of you know, everybody believing that they're on the Truman show.
1: That's a good way to put it. I think that's a really interesting touchstone. That uh uh that movie uh, for people who uh Remember it. I mean, I think there's a lot in that. It, it's very derivative of some really interesting people like uh, Philip K. Dick, who doesn't get any credit for it. And I kind of dismissed it at the time, but I think it is. It, it it's worth going back to 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 check on because it is kind of what 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 has happened now, and um, it's kind of like everyone feels or or uh, social media has has given people a platform for uh, creating a persona that they don't really need because they're not professional entertainers. They're not, you know, they're not professionally presenting something, really. They'd like to think they are, maybe. Um, But this persona becomes a kind of cumulative sort of, uh, you know, it's on the record. And it's a brand. It's a brand. They're a brand, you know. You think... No, you're not a brand. You're just, you know, you're my, you're a neighbor, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. you're, my, you're my friend. You're a person who I like or dislike.
1: And it's it really is quite weird what you know the the delusion that people have about that that uh, and and because it is unnecessary for so many people. I mean, I I think if you're you know. Uh, I I've got some students who are, are, you know, they're really serious about, uh, ex-students, they're really serious about, uh, about being uh, a band and about being professional musicians and how they do that today, you know. And, and they are concerned about consistency of image and consistency of, uh, you know, sound and, and look, you know, as, as professional entertainers have, have always been. Um, well before things like the internet. So I get that. But I think a lot of people have this obligation sense of like, well, on the record, you know, it's like, well, I'm sorry no one's paying attention to you is the real truth. You yeah. know? Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Maybe if you, I mean, it, right? hey, Bubba. hey, it's All right.
1: Now there you go, perfect timing. Now he wants to be on the record, you see? Yeah,
0: he's, very, he's ready to be on the record, that's for sure. But no, I think that keeping a record for yourself is valuable. You, you want to put things on the record. It's, it's about its intent. It, putting things on the record for yourself is a map-making process. It's an ability to build a, a, a tree of links to where your brain is now and where it could potentially go. The issue is going on the record to display it to our fellow travelers, you know? That's when the record becomes a problem. When you're, I have a lot of difficulty with the word authenticity because even authenticity these days has become another type of brand. Like what is it, what is something that is authentic? What what does authentic even mean? But for the terms of what we're talking about here, it it seems as though there is a lack of authenticity in putting things on the record. You're turning yourself into a politician. So the same way that we've turned ourselves into our own bosses... Remember how everybody thought that this was going to be a great idea? Everybody would just be their own boss. And then it just turns out that we in, internalized the master-slave dialectic uh, and became the worst bosses we could ever ask for. In, the, in that way we've also internalized the the political process
1: I think uh, and I, I make uh, a mention of it in, in my contribution to the psychic defense uh, mm-hmm. manual that I think that's one of the most important uh, lines of inquiry and assertion that, that you've repeatedly made in, in from a variety of different angles about this internalization of kind of master-slave relationships or boss-employee. You, you use a lot of different frames, but the idea is that we are excellent experts at uh, really hobbling ourselves. And and then we, we are desperately searching, you know, for that woozle. It's another sort of analogy metaphor we use. Outside that we can blame, you know, when in fact we've done it, you know, we right. put ourselves in those shackles. You know, those shackles don't. Nobody else can see them. <laughs> you know, and I think that remains a really important. Uh, under, for, I, I'm glad that, that that keeps coming up, and, I, and I'm I'm I admire that you you keep finding ways to. Uh, shed light on that and and different analogies for it because I think it is a really multi-headed monster that uh, is a fundamental feature of, of of human nature and I think it may be something that does link back to people pre-modernity you know I think it may mm-hmm. be something that's been around for a long time but it, it has become heightened and it's another way. For us to see what the modern era really looks like at the at the deep grammar level, you know, getting down into the carpet where the you know the food scraps have become microbial and bacteriological, and they've all broken down, but they're still there. Uh, that we have found new ways to internalize. Uh, Captaincy of a negative kind that undermines genuine sovereignty of self mm. and exploration. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, we, we often talk about the, the notion of verbing nouns and seeing the process of quantum oscillation and dynamism of, of objects as uh, events of uncertain duration rather than fixed things that we could just pick up, you know? And I think a beautiful way to, to, to uh, make that clearer to people is the difference between a brand and a map,
0: mm-hmm. you know?
1: Think how Ooh. much more dynamic yeah. your stick map sense of yourself, I mean, that stick map is not going to be fixed. You're not. You're not going to get to a point. Well, David is done with his stick map. That's going to right. be an evolving, <laughs> collaging kaleidoscope thing that actually will give you a mechanism for dealing with change. You know, and mm-hmm. and we're going to to watch that and see. Well, it's going to mirror changes in your physical life, your psyche, Gus is growing up, things that happened with Rios, it's going to move if you move house, it's going to record, you know, the next cyclone event, or the next, you know, big success, or the next illness, or the next whatever, it's going to be growing and changing, whereas a brand is, is I mean, we, we, we understand that brands can change, but what a limiting idea that is, you know, comparatively speaking
0: yes the distinction between brands and maps is huge um the you know of course you brand cattle but you know also when i think of brands i think of actual products and you know i think of crest toothpaste when i think of a brand or the nike swoosh and maps are maps i love that you use the word sovereign sovereignty that's one of the that's one of my focuses right now as well because <clears throat> when, when we we're talking about the on the record i had this thought that you know pixar makes these movies where they personify toys or they pers- like, there's a movie called inside out which is uh, emotions are inside this little girl's brain and they, they they're the characters so there's anger and there's sadness and all that i love the idea of a movie called On the Record, and it's these little creatures who, every time anybody says "On the Record," those little things have to have to write it down and create an actual sort of model of the of the person.
1: That's fantastic. Yes, and and just by the way, for you know, I, I want to know the. Uh, Sovereignty is is a. I mean, it's. It, I I have used that in in days gone by as a term, but I have really have been influenced by you in that regard. I think that's a good example of how, uh, you you know, we start to pick up on, uh, the speech and and the, the frameworks and the syntax, of, of mm. other people. Um, I I really like that. That that's made a lot more sense. You know, since we, uh, started recording one hundred and ten episodes ago. Again, I, you know, I think that that's a good example of how we can influence each other because um, it has some interesting uh, a, a sense of, of, of boundary and uh, perhaps pride but also responsibility too you know um, mm-hmm. so there's a lot in that why I've, I've uh, I find I use that more and I, I definitely um, credit you with that I think that uh, it, it's a good frame you know
0: absolutely well i will i think that it's time for my imaginative challenge we actually uh it's it's funny we are going to hire a dog sitter from because it's rios's birthday this weekend so we're headed to dallas and the 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 dog sitter wants to talk to me in about 45 minutes time about uh, what to do with my dog who she's easy she's you know she's on her way out unfortunately but still needs a, needs a friend around but I think you're going to like this imaginative challenge um, okay I'm ready so it's my job to keep this guy thinking that it's the late 80s <clears throat> for a while it's an easy task I if he's inside I simply get VHS copies of you know hot new releases Back to the Future and everything's going fine everything's going going perfectly well until he decides that he wants to make a trip to New York City to visit the Twin Towers.
1: Ooh. Uh, That was nice.
0: So here's where my skills as the world's greatest virtual reality simulator comes in. I'm a complete genius whiz when it comes to virtual reality. So I'm I craft a pair of augmented reality glasses. Kinda like Google Glass, which disappeared when it turned out to be a perfect a perfect tool for perverts to take pictures <laughs> of women's skirts. Um, I make an augmented late 80s New York City. So all the new modern architecture is gone it's replaced with a bit of the bit of that leftover grit and grime but i'm having a lot of trouble with the twin towers i can't quite figure out how to get them right because every every plan that i that i see just it, it, it just doesn't really seem to to work right so i fire up this cyclotron that i have in my lab Right? To, to, to develop a virtual reality, an augmented reality version of the Twin Towers. And I get the design down, I get it perfectly, we're all ready to go, and the billionaire is having a great time in New York circa 1988, until we get to the Twin Towers, which due to my firing up that cyclotron have actually really come back. The Twin Towers are actually just there now because I've jumped into an alternate reality where 1988 and 2022 have have merged in a bunch of strange and unpleasant ways. So that would be the pitch. That would be the pitch is that I accidentally made two timelines collide
1: Okay, okay, so, oh, I like that, I like that, I like that, that's, you know, uh, the the whole thing about uh, timelines and stuff, it, you know, I, I think a lot of people feel this way, that our initial response, when uh, we come across this in a novel or a TV show or movies, we want to go with it, and yet there's always something that kind of undermines it, but I think that's really... Um, I like it, and I like that you've chosen a big canvas, you know, to use a much, a very overused word of our time, an iconic, uh, you know, structure of of the Mm -hmm. Twin Towers. They kind of define, uh, they truly, you know, were iconic and are iconic in memory, Um, which uh, I'll just, just because I thought, I'll float an idea for next time of, 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 following up on the sense of, of record and and history and where history lives, uh, the question of will we have iconic things, icons in the future, or will our memories, our collective memories be so fragmented and microgenerational that the idea of iconic will... Uh, It's already been a very overused term. Maybe it will just fall apart. Maybe nothing will be iconic. Um, The other thing that you made me think about, um, because I was curious to know whether you would go Big Canvas, which you did with the Twin Towers. I think that's really cool. Or something small scale. Uh, That triggered a a memory of of one of Philip K. Dick's uh, I think one of his better novels, it's um, partially because I grew up in Berkeley and I think it captures that pre, uh, it was before I was born, it captures that pre-counterculture Bay Area vibe in a way that I don't know anyone else who ever did. But Time Out of Joint, um, which is a beautiful, it, it, it resonates, it's very strongly in, in the line of the Truman Show and maybe that's where that got me thinking. Um because it's a set-up world, and it, it, it should have gotten a little bit acknowledgement, I think, in the, the Truman Show critiques, um, but the trigger for uh, the suspicion about the reality is a very, very minor, uh, seemingly inconsequential thing where the protagonist goes into a bathroom and reaches for uh, the cord to an overhead light That isn't there, and in fact has never been there. But yet there was an an absolute, you know, muscle memory certainty of it, and that's the first little hint of, hmm, things maybe you know, where did that idea come from? You know, why did did uh, you know did the character expect to find a chord? It's a really nicely done moment for Dick. Um, So well done on that. I think that's. uh, I like assigning you these uh, these crazy uh, billionaires with things that you have to um, <laughs> look out for, and you you might notice too that it's kind of a, there. There's a weird sort of dream like uh, morphing of the responsibilities you have, you know, about Gus, about what mm-hmm. he can discover, and, and right. you know, you you want him to to, to keep discovering things. And yet, maybe not putting a fork into an electric outlet, you know? Right, Uh, exactly. So, there's some things going on there. Okay, well, um, are we ready for the tool then?
0: Uh Yes, we are.
1: Okay, well, um, I'm going to use a kind of x-rated example because I like to, uh, to put in play a distraction and hope that people will be, to not lose the focus on what the actual message is. But the, the tool deals with the, the idea of personalizing statements, uh, which we're all told we should be doing. Uh, if anyone's involved with these platforms like LinkedIn and Alignable, which are all about communities of, you know, professionals, and uh, congratulate Sherry on her promotion. You know who's Sherry, and why am I getting this email? You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to do important stuff. I, I find them just nonsensical, uh, and yet I—it's hard to get free of them entirely because you do want to know certain things about. Them. But the occasionally people put forward these uh, words of wisdom about various things, and. The old sort of adage of, of, you know, personalized statements, address other people, you know, make it relevant to them, you know, bring everything to them. And we're told this as teachers, we're told this as salespeople, it's just always, you know, you know make, make sure people connect with it. And I thought about, you know, there's a problem with that. You know, when you're always speaking and personalizing something and tailoring it and customizing it to them. And here's a good example. You could be in a solid, you know, relationship. I we don't need to specify what kind, but this is you know a a kind of romantic physical relationship. And if you use the expression, I would like to have this is speaking to your partner. I would like to have anal sex with you. Now, that's, that's a personalization. That's connecting it to them very directly. It's unmistakable. You've got the, you know, the key second person pronoun there, you, you know. I would like to have anal sex. That fits these recommendations of these people who are saying personalize everything. Well, it occurred to me that if you were to think about that phrase for a little moment, it also works against itself because I think the inference could be drawn that the speaker is having anal sex with other people currently. Mm. And it's, it's the, the personalization here has a real double whammy to it. You know?
0: Right, right.
1: And I think that we we miss that, and we're we're afraid to speak generically. we're desperately afraid of of making you know generalizations we're speaking uh, what really is neutrally, you know yeah. Um, yeah. but think about that phrase for a moment and think about it well. I would like to have anal sex. That seems to be, you know, the the very general open. Well, it doesn't matter with whom. You know, I just I just want to do it, you know. Mm. And for listeners who are, you know, in any I don't think anyone really is offended by that. I've used that example because I think it's important to to, you know, use some hot button language sometimes uh, <laughs> to, to to complicate things because yeah. then you then you start maybe to listen more to the mechanics of the expression. I could have used something completely, you know, uh, mm-hmm. free yeah. of any uh, concerns that people might right. have. Right. But I Where's think you,
0: fun in that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jesus, you know, come on, you know, it's about fun. Yeah. You're absolutely right. But the tool is think about this, uh, this sense of personalizing everything and speaking to you know, specific people all the time. I I don't think that always works. And I think there's it can often carry a hidden freight of messaging that we don't really want and that works against what we're actually trying to say. Hmm. So that's Love my it. my tool. And um Uh okay, on on the basis of um I've got, one, I've got two different directions of, of tip, and I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this strategy uh, for the next few episodes. I'm going to have two thematically very, very different, and I'm going to throw it open to you to uh, be the selector. I've got okay. a very, very uh, serious one, but one which is sort of obvious it's all in, about really in the doing, it's not sort of conceptually uh, remarkable, but it's really serious and it's it's very hard to do. And I've got one that is much more playful and is relatively easily done uh, and I think both are profoundly instructive and, and although one has a serious level to it uh, I think the other one uh, has a lot to teach too. So do you want The serious but conceptually um, familiar, let's put it that way, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. approach, or do you want uh, the playful, silly, but also instructive one?
0: I think I'm feeling playful today.
1: Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, I think people would be aware of the concept, uh, David mentioned a show, a Pixar, thing, about emotions being personified. This is an old, you know, idea of, uh, of giving uh, some sort of visual treatment. Uh, and emotional face paddles uh, were and still are a technique. You can Google on them. They're quite hilarious. They're literally little balsam with sticks with a cardboard mask that has a, a face drawn on it you know crudely or not Okay, Uh, but you can make them yourself we can make things David is making a stick map of his interior psyche and his exterior existence and a a destiny guide we can make things so you can make uh, your own set of emotional face paddles and you can customize them to you know to your kind of grumpiness, your kind of enthusiasm, whatever. But the tip is, get a, a little group, say four or five. I really encourage this. But occasionally, in responding to other people, try to use them. It helps, you you really need a partner or a roommate, someone who knows you well. You can't just go around the street, don't do this on the street with people you don't know, okay? (laughs) Unless you're really gung-ho, and then I admire you deeply, you know? Uh, Then you're ready for, for, uh, you know, the blowgun target range. But try to go a little bit off-center, you know, and you could you could uh, by analogy, you could go uh, use this in a text emoji sort of way, uh, of just rather than the thumbs up or the you know all those basic things, uh, take a little bit of a risk. And, and throw up an emotional response. And emojis are actually great. I didn't mention those first because there's so many of them and they're so easy and they kind of are, are so, I don't know, they kind of discourage me. But I think you could, you could. the point is to have a response that is off-center and that's coming in at a weird angle and that mm-hmm. does run the risk of, of confusing someone, you know? Uh, we need to take that risk sometimes you know I think yeah. we're all becoming so nervous about being understood we're becoming stupider and stupider and what beca- yeah. we become is more robotic we go yeah thumbs up yeah okay you know uh,
0: you can see it in the language people use online when they say things like oh that's stunning that's brave when usually these things are, are neither stunning nor brave but you have to be a few. There can't be any ambiguity. We must know what you think with the certainty of a thumbs up or a thumbs down.
1: Ambiguity is a beautiful word and it's something that I think we almost need to have reverence for and to reinstate because smart people, people who are alert, people who are really trying to, to make maps and to explore their lives in a dynamic sense, they savor ambiguity because they know that ambiguity is... Is, is fundamental to life and the human experience. we are not trying to kill it or control it. You know, engage with ambiguity. You know, be careful with the people you do it with. I think that's the limitation there. That's the frame. You know, right. you're not just throwing that out to anyone. But right. what we're fighting against is uh, just the automatic response. And I found myself giving a thumbs up on a text message. You know, and what my real reaction was, God damn it, no. Why am I having, you know, it was, yeah, someone was going to get back to me with some sort of, uh, you know, response in, in a couple of days. And that's not the power nature of the relationship, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, it's not so to the point where I feel free enough to go, that's not good enough, you know. Right. It, right. It's a very, it's a complex more professional sort of relationship than a friendship. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I really wanted to say, well, all right, you know, you know, but I didn't want to go all road and, you know, big long ears drooping down. and I didn't <laughs> want to go, well, you know, get off your butt and get it done. So right, right, right. it was just easy to go, oh, thumbs up, you know, it's like, but that's what happens and every automatic, robotic gesture, it makes us more robot-like. You know, mm. every every single uh, capitulation that we mm. allow makes us more enslaved by our own fears, lackadaisical attitudes whatever it doesn't matter what the mechanism or what you know what's what we're responding to it's it's our response to that that's important so go a little bit off center with your emotional face paddles with your emojis with your with, with the language that you use you know
0: i love that yeah no it's got a bit of the trickster in it too a little bit of hayoka yeah of that kind of, right that kind of spirit to it yeah i mean keep people on their toes man the people who you, I mean, that's honestly what the basis of most humor is anyway. But yeah, just d- do do something to break the, uh, the robot-like nature of the thumbs-up response. Like maybe with this guy, instead of a thumbs-up, you could have, uh, you know, found a picture of somebody, you know, driving, like a slave driver or something like that. And just like, just confuse the shit out of them. Like, wait, who is the slave driver in this in this picture? Why is Chris sending me this? You know, get people to think think.
1: a little bit. You know, you you can't do that with everyone. I'm not saying that. I I am saying really being targeted in a blowgunning sense with who you're approaching. You know, using this approach with, but with that select group of people, give them some credit for being able to respond you know, to something that's a little bit oblique, you know?
0: Right, right. A little I'll bit of it. faith
1: in people, you know? The branch will not break, as James Wright said. And uh, and we all need to have a little... Bit, I mean, a lot of people are just desperately waiting for something that is a little bit off-kilter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I mentioned my uh, psychologist friend, and he is really... He's embraced several of our ideas. He's a real... Uh, he, he really is a fan of yours, as I've said, and I, I, he has a student who's put forward uh, a, a, a plan that is, they're working on of um, taking two uh, segments uh, of shows. One is The View, you know, the women's talk show, and mm-hmm. the other is the major um, a sports show. Of um, I've forgotten which network it's on, but Terry Bradshaw is one of the the uh, ex-Steelers quarterback is on it, and it's sort of the men's version. But the the idea is to uh, have these in parallel, um, but the soundtrack is reversed and is synced up (laughs) as well as possible. So Mm. you have Terry Bradshaw suddenly talking like, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, you know, her, her yeah, comments on it. And just that little bit of, you know, get people thinking a little bit. A little bit of like, what's happening here? That's good. That's not bad. That's a right. good thing. That gets us thinking. It gets us on our toes. So, Excellent. all this is Excellent. good. Um, okay, you ready for the dream?
0: I'm ready for the
1: dream. Okay, the, the dream kind of follows on this, but it's um, I've been doing a lot of, of recording. I finished my uh, Go Gus. He wants to be on the record. He wants to be on the record. He's got a good set of pipes. I like that. Um, so my first solo album, Victrola in the Jungle, is going to be released through uh, CD Baby and Bandcamp, which I, I'm perfectly fine with. Uh, and I've got a second one following up, which I'm really excited about. And apparently, the guy who's done my mastering, uh, Evil Steve, who's been a collaborator for a long time, said, I've really, really made a lot of, of progress in my recording technology uh, skill. And I'm really proud of that. Well, in the dream, I. And I always, I'm always thinking about names for record companies. You know, if I had a million dollars and I could form my own record label, what would it be? Always doing that. Well, in the dream, I found myself running Onslaught Records. That's
0: cool. That's you
1: know. <laughs> well, the, 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 the logo was a, a huge Cape Buffalo head. And our initial promo... Was kind of like a high school pep rally of, of, of cheerleaders, male and female. But instead of uh, like, you know, hot girls and good looking gay guys, which is kind of what you've got with a, a pep rally, if we're honest, uh, no, this was, uh, it had gone like entirely woke. And there were disabled people and all, and nobody who fits the normal cheerleader sort of thing. And I show up my first day as the managing director and the head of... Uh, artistic development and I'm going, Oh, I don't know about this. I like the I like the Cape Buffalo head. I like Onslaught Records. That's got some enthusiasm because it could be heavy metal. It could be sort of weird rappers. There are lots of things you can do with that. But I confront the, this group of employees and they start whispering and I think, oh, okay, I'm going to have to do some authoritarian stuff here. You know, my first day. I thought, well, that's like that's like classrooms. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm I can do that. I, I'm into that. You know, I'm I'm the captain of the ship. You know, and uh, then I actually start hearing what they're saying, and they're saying we're going to have to remix him. And they're talking about me as if I'm not real, as if I'm a synthetic, like recorded creation, and that they need to get the master version and they're going to, you know, mix it a different way. And I start looking at my uh, right hand, I'm right handed, and it starts to sort of like dematerialize a little bit or pixelate in a kind of really sort of weird way not like normal pixelation something odder, and they're going to remix me and I thought ah no and I looked at my left hand and it was starting to go that way too and I thought no no and as I fixed on my left hand it stabilized and I said to him, We're mixing music, not me. And it was talk about sort of, you know, be your own boss kind of thing. It was like, no, I'm in charge here, you know, and I think that that was a good way to wake up because I had to, you know, put on my swim trunks and go hiking down the trail to do, you know, 50 laps in the pool. Because uh, I'm in a lot of you know body pain, and I thought, well, no, we've all got to do that. We've just got to say, no, we're not going to pixelate out of existence and be remixed by other people. No, we may be responding to our environment. We may be responding to other people. Hopefully, we are, if we're sane and you know kind and and, and capable and interested and curious, and uh, we we're actually you know. Give a shit about other people. Of course we're going to do that. But we're not going to pixelate and be remixed for other people. That's my thought to leave us with.